working with the um, University of Minnesota Police Department, uh, as well as getting my degree in criminal justice. And actually, the movie that inspired me uh, during that time, some of you old-timers might remember this movie, was uh, Silence of the Lambs. That is what I, w- I wanted to be, that special agent. And so this was actually my, my vision, what I wanted to do, actually kind of be a special agent for the FBI. And I became a disciple my freshman year and, and uh, then continued on there. And, and then uh, by my senior year, uh, I ended up going into the full-time ministry. So I, I uh, was sent to St. Paul, Minnesota, where we planned a mission team. And so I got my degree, finished my degree, uh, but went into the full-time ministry uh, back in 1991. Uh, I was there for about a year, and then uh, I'd come out of the ministry. I shared about October 1991, but uh, a few months later, actually the next year, 92, I went back into the ministry. And then a few months after that, I went to uh, moved to Chicago, Illinois. And I was there from uh, 1992 in December to uh, August of 1995. I spent some time with the, the Chicago church and uh, the, the singles ministry. We had an Asian ministry back then. And uh, we had a great time there in, in the Chicago church. And then in uh, August of 1995, I moved, up, uh, moved out to uh, Los Angeles. And in August of 1995, landed at UCLA, worked with the, uh, the campus ministry there, and then the graduate ministry, singles, till uh, January of 1999. Uh, January of 1999, we got the call, um, uh, I'll say that loosely, we got the call, or we're told to go to Wichita, Kansas, and uh, we uh, moved uh, to Wichita, Kansas. Actually, truth be told, uh, you know, uh, things, we, we had a great year in the ministry, uh, when Rebecca and I got married, then the next year it wasn't so great, and so we were asked to uh, uh, move to Wichita, and actually at that point, I decided I, uh, I was going to quit the ministry. I actually told Rebecca, you know, I'm, I'm going to quit uh, the ministry. And I'm glad I have a spiritual wife. Because she said, honey, let, let's, let's pray about this. And so we uh, took a week. It was actually on our anniversary. And we prayed about it. And I said, honey, you're right. Uh, let, let's go to Wichita. And so we moved to Wichita uh, that, back then in January 1999. And actually it was a, the best thing ever. It was such a, a healing time for us, for our marriage, and just their time to be together. And we're in Wichita for about a year and a half, from 1999 to 2000. And then in 2000, we got the call to uh, go to the church leaders of a new planning in Manhattan, Kansas. Had just moved actually back to Los Angeles. And so we got the call to lead the, uh, the church in Manhattan, Kansas. And so we moved up there for uh, about four years till. Uh, uh, August of 2004, and uh, then there was uh, an opening uh, that was in Lawrence, Kansas, and so we decided to uh, move to uh, Lawrence, Kansas, and we were there for about three years, uh, home of the Jayhawks, and uh, there we were, had a great time, and then that's when, about uh, five and a half years ago, and I'll still never forget the, uh, the time when Ron Quinn was at the uh, Boston ICMC. And uh, Ron Quinn had seen us in line. In fact, I'm the one. We, we got in the registration line. I got behind Ron Quinn. And uh, I won't go through the whole story, but I said, Ron, how's that situation going in Santa Barbara? You know, we had been praying for Santa Barbara. And Rebecca had spent her campus years there. And so I'd asked Ron, said, how's that going finding a leader for Santa Barbara? And Ron said, well, funny you should ask because your name actually was mentioned. And so he asked me in line at the registration for the ICMC, would you consider uh, just sitting down with Renee and myself? And so one thing led to another. I shared with Rebecca and I said, hey, I ran into Ron Quinn. He, he asked if we'd have lunch. And so we had lunch there in Boston. Uh, it was July 4th weekend and in 2007. Uh, a couple of weeks later, we went out to Santa Barbara. We interviewed. And then by uh, September of 2007, we actually moved 
uh, to Santa Barbara. And that's where we've been at for the last five and a half years. You know, it's been a great time uh, to be together. And we're going to close our time this morning as we've been talking about living with purpose. We're going to be talking about living a life of impact. I want to go back to the first scripture we looked at on Friday evening in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And it's our theme passage, kind of we started our retreat off with. It says in Ephesians 2, 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, it's by grace we've been saved. And I pray that we never forget that. It is by the grace of God that we can sit here today, saved for eternal life. It is a gift of God. You know, as we talked about living with purpose, we talked on Saturday morning, yesterday morning, about really walking with God. And I I pray that we made some great decisions just in our personal walk with God. I know I've had a chance to fellowship with a number of you, and it's just encouraging to hear uh, just the walks we've had and, and really connecting with God as we've been here this weekend. We talked last night about being transformed in character and really being changed from the inside out. That we can really be changed and transformed to be more like Christ. And you know, we are saved not because of our works, but rather we're saved to do good works. We're saved so that we can live a life of impact. Now I want to talk today about really being created and called to ministry. In verse 10 it says, For we are God's workmanship, created to be... Uh, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In the New Living Translation, it says, For we are God's masterpiece. You know, as we sit here this morning, each one of you is God's masterpiece. Now, a masterpiece is a work done with extraordinary skill. You know, I don't know how many of you are into art, but you know, if you own a masterpiece, it's worth a lot. And we are God's masterpiece. You know that there are no two fingerprints that have ever been found identical in the billions of human beings that have ever lived. There's a unique ID that can be identified by your fingerprints. They say that there's not one snowflake that has ever fallen. There's uh, estimated to be 10 followed by 34 zeros, that number of snowflakes that have fallen. And there's not one snowflake that's exactly the same. And that's how we are today. God has designed us as a masterpiece that we are the original. Never been duplicated. It's never been the same. You are unique to God. You know, maybe you uh, had a time when uh, maybe uh, someone said, you know, bro, you are, you are, or maybe you went on a date and, and the sister said, well, you are a one in a million kind of brother. You know, just to give you some perspective, if you lived in China, there'd be a thousand people just like you. With over a billion people. It takes away, you know, you might feel pretty good. Well, I'm a one in a million kind of person, but there's a thousand people just like you in China. You know, you are unique to God. And sometimes, I really believe as we talk about living with purpose, sometimes we don't see our significance in who God designed us to be. We can feel pretty insignificant in a world of 7 billion people that live in this planet. We can kind of feel small. We can feel like we're not unique. 
We can feel like we're just one of, of billions of people in this world. Even in our ministries, maybe we're just one of a hundred disciples, we're one of two hundred disciples, and we just feel like we're not that important. We, we feel like we're not missed if I'm not there. We feel like, well, there's a lot of other disciples here that can just do the work. And sometimes we don't see our importance to God, how significant, how we are God's masterpiece, and He's designed us specifically for His purpose and His glory. You know, I know uh, a lot of brothers have been playing cards this week, and who, who won last night? Kevin. Kevin. Kevin won, amen. So I, I believe Gary won on Friday, Kevin won, you know, so I actually got a little painting. This is, I thought, pretty appropriate here. Anyone know what this picture is of? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not, it's actually not Gary and Kevin, but uh, someone could have painted this. Anyone ever seen this picture before? No, no, it doesn't ring a bell. This is a masterpiece. It's entitled The Card Players by Paul Cezanne. You know, it, it may not be very famous to you, but actually this is the original of this painting, sold in 2011, two years ago. Anyone know how much? $267 million. Now this cost me a penny to make for my copier. I wish I had the masterpiece. You know, if, I, if this were the masterpiece in the original, I'd, I'd take you all to lunch afterwards. But you know, it's so valuable because there's only one. It's the original. It's valued because it's a masterpiece. Each one of you today is a masterpiece of God. You are worth more than $267 million because you are the masterpiece of God. And you know, God created each of us as His masterpiece for His purpose, to be lived for His purpose and His glory. Again, back in verse 10 it says, We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, when God created us and when we, we were in our mother's womb even, God had a specific plan for your life. He had planned it long ago, ages ago, well in advance, that you'd be here today, and that He'd have a plan for your life to use you to bring Him greater glory. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, the prophet Jeremiah speaks, and we can really uh, take heart what he shares, because I really believe this is each one of us that this could describe. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, it says... The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. You know, God was speaking here to Jeremiah, but I believe that God could be speaking these very words to you and I today. That God had formed us in our mother's womb. That He set us apart. And He appointed us prophets in Santa Clarita. Prophets in Shoreline. Prophets wherever God has set you in your city. You know, I shared about my birth uh, when my mom was almost 48 years old. And, you know, in the world's eyes, it was an accident. Uh, my, my brother was five years older than I am. He was considered an accident. But we know that God has no accidents. Amen? God has a plan for us. There are no accidents in God's eyes. You know, my dad celebrated 88 years uh, last week, and he sent out a, uh, a tribute for celebrating 88 years uh, of being alive. And he sent this, my dad rarely does this, he sent out this really long 
email about his life and God's mercy in his life and uh, God's incredible blessings. And he went through his whole timeline and all of God's blessings in his life. And, you know, inevitably he got to the section about his children and he talked about moving to uh, New Jersey from China and then having the firstborn May being born in, in New Jersey. And then he talked about being in the Indian Reservation in Colorado and seeing uh, four sons born there by name. He went through each of the names. And then he talked about going to Montana, serving in the Indian Reservation there, and then moving to Minnesota. And actually, my dad forgot me to put, put myself in there. He didn't mention me being born. And uh, I remember reading it as, as building anticipation. You know, I was thinking, wow, here's May, and going through all my siblings. And I was actually thinking about, I wonder what he's going to say about me, you know, when, when I was born. And then he skipped right over me. And I tell you, at first I was a little insecure. But then I remember, I'm God's masterpiece. That even if the world forgets about us, even if our dads forget us about us, even if you're forgotten, you are not forgotten by God. And, you know, it didn't even really bother me. I just said, you know, my dad, uh, he's 88 after all. You know, he's going to forget some things. Uh, and, and so I didn't say anything about it because I knew that God remembers me. Uh, thankfully, later that day, there was an amendment to his email. <laughs> He added this. I, I got to read this. He, he says, you know, he, he sent out an apology saying, oh man, I was in such a hurry to send this out. I forgot a couple of big details. And he says, uh, when we were in Brockton, Montana, Christopher, our youngest son, was born and popular at a small community hospital 15 miles from Brockton. An inexperienced young doctor tried delivering him, but the umbilical cord got wrapped around the baby's neck, and he did not know what to do. That very moment, an experienced old doctor just came back from a trip and entered the delivery room and was able to successfully deliver the baby. Chris was saved. Amen. And I didn't actually know about uh, I didn't actually know about those details uh, that I had been saved like that. But I talked to my dad um, a couple of days ago, and he apologized again for leaving me out. But he said, you know, the last thing he said to me was, he said, you know what? God saved your life. God saved your life. And you know, I know that because God had a plan for me. Uh, even when I was growing up and having a lot of complications at birth, uh, I had a lot of speech impediments. Uh, I could not talk very well. It's hard for me sometimes still to talk well. But I had a very difficult time just speaking. And I think about God's plan. God had a plan for me to be a minister someday. That God would use a weakness and turn it into something now I do all the time. God has a plan for each one of us. C.S. Lewis said, there are no accidents. God's just trying to remain anonymous. You know, there are no accidents. God has you here for a reason. God has called you to be a prophet to the nations. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, Peter writes this, and this is a, of the Living Bible. He says, Dear friends, God the Father chose you long ago. See, you were chosen way before that brother or sister met you and invited you out. God had a plan for your life. He says, He chose you long ago and knew you would become His children. God chose you long before you chose God. And He chose you for a reason. You know, isn't it great when we get chosen? You know, for those of us who are married in this room, wasn't it so great when your wife chose you? And I know some of your wives, so I know it was them that chose you and not you choosing them. I know some of you brothers, I know some of the brothers here, you had your choice 
you know, the Robbie Nealons of the world that, that kind of had choices. And so, but for most of us here, uh, we were just grateful to be chosen. When the sister liked us as well, we were fired up about that. But I tell you, it, it's awesome when you get chosen. You feel special. You feel unique. You feel like you're on top of the world because God has chosen you. The Good News Translation says, You were chosen according to the purpose of God. And God chose us because according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, He chose us so that we would do good works for Him. In Ephesians 2.10, in the Living Bible, it says that God chose us long ago, ages long ago, He planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. You know, our life is to be committed to living with purpose to helping other people. God has chosen us in the TEV, in Ephesians 2.10, it says, In our union with Christ Jesus, He has created us for a life of good deeds. You know, minister and servant in the Bible are synonymous words, are, are synonyms. Whenever you see ministers and you see servant, it's really talking about the same. Now, this is one of the biggest changes uh, when I studied the Bible 25 years ago that... that really hit me. I grew up as a minister's kid, and I saw my dad. Actually, ironically, my, my dad was a Presbyterian minister. Uh, my, my wife's dad was a Presbyterian minister. Uh, my mom's name was Esther Lee, and Rebecca's mom's name is Esther Lee. Uh, we had all these kind of unique things that just God had planned again long ago that we'd be together. But you know, one of the things that, that struck me was I saw my dad growing up in the ministry, uh, really being the minister, and then everyone just kind of in the church coming to church. And I tell you, it hit me when I came out to the, the ministry in Minneapolis that I looked around and I saw everybody just as committed as a minister. In fact, I saw the evangelists and I saw the campus students and I saw the ministers. They were just as committed. They were just as evangelistic. They studied the Bible just like the, the evangelist. And I, I tell you, it's something that, that stuck to me to this day that we are a fellowship. That, that in our ministries... That we are all ministers. Yeah. It's not just Ron is a minister in Santa Clarita. Gio is a minister in Charlotte. You have 200 ministers right. in Santa Clarita. You have 100 plus ministers here in the shoreline. Every one of us needs to be just as committed. I want to give us a challenge today. Are you as committed to the evangelistic zeal and the evangelistic push in your ministries than Ron Hammer, than Gio Garces? Are you as excited and, and as purposeful about seeing the ministries grow? Think about the 2020 vision. I know in Santa Barbara our 2020 vision has grown over 200 disciples by the year 2020. Uh, Shoreline is 300 disciples by 2020. Santa Clarita, 500 disciples by 2020. You know, I want to encourage you to put that in your heart. Be just as prayerful and visionary of that goal than your ministry staff where you're at. Because everyone, every member is a minister. Amen? Every one of us as disciples of Christ are ministers of Christ Jesus. You know, in 1 Peter chapter 4, we are all gifted for ministry. And I want you to think right now about the unbelievable talent and gifts and abilities that God has given you. Uh, this is a room full of amazingly talented people. But I want you to think about how you're using your talents today. Are you using them for yourself to advance in your careers, uh, to get your promotions, to, to do a lot of things that, that are not necessarily bad things? But how much are you using those gifts for ministry? In 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning verse 10, it says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received... To serve others. 
as faithful stewards of God's grace in His various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You know, it says here, Peter says, each one of us should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. And I want to kind of close out our time talking about, number one, speaking the very words of God. And then secondly, to serve with the strength that God provides. You know, in Romans 12, 6-8, it says, We have different gifts according to the grace God has given each one of us. If your gift, and I want you to think about right now, what are your gifts that God has given you? If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If if it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is show mercy, do it cheerfully. You know, today, I want you to think about serving with the strength that God provides. What is the strength that God has given you? And are you using it to really serve God? How will I use my gifts to serve the ministry? You know, I was reading... um, last week about the denom- some statistics about the denominational world. And they say in the denominational world, only 10% are involved in ministry. But more alarming than that, 50% of people in the denominational world have no desire to do anything in ministry except just come to church. That's the religious world we live in. You know, I pray that that doesn't rub off on us in God's kingdom. Where we kind of just, just happy to come to church and midweek and come to, come to the events, but not get involved in really moving the ministry and building the ministry. I want you to think about what can you do to serve the ministry? Maybe it's a question you can ask Ron and Gio. Hey, how can I serve the ministry in a greater way? You know, I know that we have a great need for more and more leaders. I really believe one of the great needs, we have the need for more leaders and more ministers in our movement. You know, have a vision and a dream to to be a leader if you're not. Have a vision to to go into ministry if that's something that God has put on your heart. You know, we're to serve with the strength God provides, and then we're to speak the very words of God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, as we speak the very words of God in the Message Bible, it says, You are among the ones chosen by God. For the high calling of priestly work. Chosen to be His holy people. God's instruments to do His work and speak out for Him. To tell others of the night and day difference God has made for you. Think about your life. Think about the night and day difference that God has made in your life. Where would you be at today if you did not have God? It's scary to me where I think I would be at. And I believe that we can't lose connection with our past. Now, God's forgiven our past. I don't believe we should live in our past. I don't believe we should be haunted by our past and embittered by our past. But I believe that we should not lose connection with our past. If you did not become a disciple when you did, where would your life be right now? That's where transformation comes in. How God has transformed us. And He's saying to us, Hey, tell others 
of your testimony. Tell others of your transformation. We've had the opportunity uh, in the month of April, we've been doing a series in Santa Barbara simply entitled Transform Lives. And so we've had different sharing. It was great, actually. Gary Smith preached last Sunday. Those of you who know Gary, he's had a transformed life. Uh, I love how he shared his uh, uh, time uh, last Sunday. He shared about how he used to hang out with 30 people uh, back in his high school days. And then we figured out he's talking about a gang. You know, he didn't come out and say that. But someone said, are you talking about a gang? He said, yeah, exactly, that's what I'm talking about. You know, so he, he shared, and I tell you, I didn't know Gary in his old days, but I know Gary well enough now. You're talking about transformed life. Those of you who know Gary Smith, that's God transforming a night and day difference in someone's life. And it's been so inspirational to just hear brother after sister share how God's transformed their life. We all have stories today about God's transformed our life. Who are you telling about your transformed life? God's saying, hey, speak to everyone who here. Speak out for Him about the transformed life that you've undergone. Luke chapter 10, verse 2. We set our alarms uh, in Santa Barbara ministry and throughout the north about just being reminded that it says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out the workers. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There is an absolutely open field of people waiting to hear from you about your life that's been transformed. You know, this last fall, I remember uh, just driving from UCSB over to uh, City College uh, for Bible Talk. And I just remember on the way over, I actually got an email uh, as I was at UCSB. And I checked this email with someone who actually said they're looking for a church. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. Just they found us on the website and they're looking for church. And it, it struck me, I thought, you know, there are people that are really just searching for God. And so I specifically prayed on the way over to City College that God... There are people that are right now looking for you. And so I prayed on the way over, God, help me just meet someone specifically who's looking for you and, and wants to change. Well, I got over to City College, and there's a guy sitting under a tree. Uh, his name is Josh. And I just invited him. I said, hey, we got a Bible talk here coming up right, you know, in, in a few minutes. And uh, he said, okay, sure, I'll come. And we started studying the Bible. And what was amazing, as he shared later, he said, you know what's amazing is the night before you met me, I just prayed. That God would, would send me someone that could really help me because spiritually I've been searching and I don't know, didn't know what to do. He said, when you met me, it was like, wow, this is God answering my prayer. It was God answering my prayer because I literally prayed just within an hour before that I'd meet someone who's just searching for God. And God's just connecting these open people. If we'll be the workers, connecting them together. Josh was just baptized in December. God's got those Joshes there in your life. If you'll simply speak out. We have two guys at UCSB right now, two freshmen. One's a mechanical engineer freshman. The other's a biology freshman. Both these guys are getting close, uh, prayerfully be baptized in the next two weeks. And both of them were met. One guy was met because his parents dropped him off at the beginning of the winter quarter back in January. Uh, They dropped him off uh, back to the dorms at 8 in the morning. But because he's a freshman, and, and you know, freshmen don't always know their way around, uh, the dorms didn't open until 1 in the afternoon. So he got dropped off at 8, and the dorms are closed. So he walked over to a, a building on campus and was just waiting there with his luggage and sitting in front. Well, we just happened to meet on that day at that building, and so when we got there in the morning, he was just sitting there waiting. Now, again, that could be by coincidence, that he's just waiting for the dorm to open. His parents didn't know what time the dorms were open, so they dropped him off. Or it could be that he's open. And so he came out to church that day. He's been studying the Bible. We're coming to college with him. And uh, preferably, Andrew will be baptized here soon. Uh, on Easter service, we had uh, a family that came, and they just happened to see our sign outside. 
And so they just saw the sign, and it was Easter Sunday, and they, they just came into service, uh, seeing the sign. And uh, uh, Aaron has been studying the Bible. Aaron is, is getting ready to study the cross. He's wide open. He, he's wanting to be baptized. He sees that, well, I'm not a disciple. And again, just by some sign, some random sign that he saw, that he just kind of came in service. I absolutely believe there's, there's a wide open harvest. At your workplace, there's a wide open harvest in your neighborhood. There's a wide open harvest wherever you go, if you'll simply speak out for Him, telling others a night and day difference God has made in your life. One of my very best friends over the last 24 years is Steve Stevenson. Steve actually led many years here in uh, Los Angeles. He uh, last year moved out to uh, New Jersey, uh, where he leads the New Jersey region of the New York Church. But Steve would, uh, one thing I love about Steve, he, he'd always have these phrases. Uh, Steve would actually get, and Mike, Mike knows Steve, uh, he'd often get in, uh, he'd get in trouble because he'd always have these one-liners. Uh, and one time he told me about how he used to say uh, the term, serious is a heart attack. And uh, one time the evangelist was... Um, challenging him on actually just how he sometimes gets too jokey and, and he, he actually said, Steve, you need to be serious more often. And he says, serious is a heart attack? And he got rebuked at that point. But one of the, uh, one of the things that Steve would say, and it's one of the lines that Steve would say that I always think about uh, from time to time, he says, if not you, then who? If you don't do it, then who's going to do it? If you don't share your faith, then who's going to do it? If not you, then who? At your workplace, if you don't share the good news, then who will? In your neighborhood, if not you, then who? With your family, if not you, then who? Wherever you go, if not you, then who? God is looking for men that will really speak out until the night and day difference. You know, this is all about living with purpose in our life. You know, that's where I've talked about just getting out of our comfort zone. And I know that it's challenging, you know, uh, sometimes just to get out of the comfort zone. When we go work out at the gym, you know, you see everyone with their headphones on and, and everyone who, who just kind of into their own world. And I know it's so tempting just to say, well, I don't want to bother them. But, you know, it's interesting because when I was met walking across the Washington Avenue Bridge... I was had my, uh, you know, dating myself, my, my Walkman uh, on, yeah. listening to my Michael Jackson CD, the Thriller uh, album. And I'm really grateful because I was in my own little world with my Walkmans on, and two brothers stopped me, and I take my headphones off. And, and I think about that. When I see someone with the, you know, their little earbuds in, I, I just think, that was me. And so many times I know, I, I, oh, they're not open. They're just in their own world. And yet that was me 25 years ago. You know, we've got to get out of our comfort zone. Maybe it's in our schools. Maybe it's in our workplaces. And, and it's different. At, at your workplace, you're, you're building relationships. You're really forging the, that trust. Uh, but get out of our comfort zone to really tell people the good news. In, in Santa Barbara, it's been, uh, you know, we, we moved there five and a half years ago with, with the, the vision uh, simply to be part of what God is doing. Because I really believe that even now in our ministries and our cities, that God is up to something. He, he's moving. You're, you're just part of it. And so when we moved to Santa Barbara, we had the vision. Hey, God is working here. We just want to be part of what God is doing. God's working far more than anything we can see. And so it's been great to see what God is doing. We, we, we've got a long ways to go. 
Uh, God is up to much more, but we're grateful that God has begun a a great work there. You know, we we moved five and a half years ago with 20-some disciples. Now we have 71 disciples in Santa Barbara. And God has continued to forge that. We want to get to 200 by 2020. But God has brought some amazing, amazing people. You know, just to share about a couple of them. uh, One of the sisters baptized about three and a half years ago. Her name is uh, Rose Collins, and she had come out to one of our barbecues, and, and actually just came out for the food, uh, but she came over and, and just really was impacted. And she studied the Bible in November of 2009, and she became a disciple, was baptized then, but even in the last three and a half years, I've actually lost track of it, but somewhere close to 20 of her friends, or her friends' friends, have become disciples, just from this one sister being converted, telling the good news, telling her friends, her roommates became disciples, her, her different people that she knew, friends of hers, and their friends have become disciples. And These are the fruitful vines that God has in our ministries. One person that you baptize could just be an incredible fruitful vine. One of the highlights I have from last year was seeing Michael Hammer restored. Amen? And God is, work, God is working, again, because we have a ministry in Santa Barbara. And because God had the ministry there, and I'm so grateful for Michael. You know, I think about, again, what God was doing, God was working, and it was many people. Uh, I remember at Michael's restoration, so many people that were involved in helping Michael uh, be restored. And uh, to see how, even with our, our children, seeing them become disciples, or maybe... Uh, being restored, whatever it may be, uh, but to continue to have a vision for our families. Uh, different people studying. You know, we're so grateful for Jerry and Terry Lichera, yeah. who yeah. moved this uh, about a year and a half ago. And again, they, uh, the thing I appreciate about Jerry and Terry is they've been around uh, many years. They were well established. They owned their own home. They had a good job. They had money in the bank. Uh, they had everything that was just as smooth as could be. And I incredibly respect the Lachera family to say, you know what, we want to go and serve. We want to help where we can. We want to be part of the mission team uh, and do whatever we can. And, and Ron, uh, Ron Quint had um, uh, just kind of put out a plea. You know, hey, if anyone wants to move to Santa Barbara. And uh, finally, at some point, uh, Jerry and Ron were talking, and Jerry says, well, you know, I know you mentioned that, but until we get a formal invitation, you know, so Jerry says, okay, I'm formally asking you now, would you go to Santa Barbara? So they moved up, but you know what I respect is Lindsay, their, their uh, oldest, was a, is a disciple in a great teen ministry. A teen ministry in the valley that was a big teen ministry, and Gary Cloud did a fantastic job, and, and they decided to move. We don't have a teen ministry. We have no teen disciples. And yet that didn't stop them from saying, you know what, uh, it, it's out of the, we're going to move out of our comfort zone and we're going to be part of Santa Barbara. And Lindsay's done fantastic. She's done awesome. But uh, this last October, Jerry, because Jerry came up with a mission, uh, in October, just a few months ago, Jerry baptized one of his co-workers because he's telling the night and day difference God has made in his life. Amen. Speak the very words of God and serve with the strength that God provides. What is it that you need to do in your life to live with purpose? Maybe it's to be a leader. Maybe right now there, there's, a, there's need for leadership. Maybe it's to lead a Bible talk. Maybe it's to lead a family group. Maybe the decision to say, hey, I'm ready to lead. I'm ready to get out of my comfort zone and lead. Maybe it's to really go after, when's the last time you baptized a friend? Or baptized someone that you've reached out to? Maybe it's saying, you know, I want to have a vision. Just to meet someone and, and baptize a, a new friend in Christ. 
Maybe it's to serve in an area that you're passionate about. Maybe it's to do something radical. Maybe it's to say, hey, this is what my plan is. I want to do something awesome. Don't just wait and wait for Gio and Ron to share the next plan. We, we need the visionaries. We need the people that say, you know what? This was what God has put on my heart. On. I want to start doing this. Can we start this new ministry? Can we start this mission planning in this neighborhood that we don't have a Bible talk in? Because we want to speak the very words of God and serve with the strength that God provides. You know, we're to live a life of impact. We have been created for and called to ministry. You know, my prayer is that over this weekend, uh, we can kind of, you know, leave back all the distractions. You know, one of the things that's going to happen, and inevitably it happens, you're going to come down from this mountain, and literally come down from this mountain, and you're going to go back home, and there's going to be distractions. Now, some of these distractions are not bad things. I, I encourage you to spend some time with your wife. Don't say, honey, I don't have time for... You're a distraction. You know, don't, don't say that. Uh, Chris told me that, you know, spend some great time with your kids. Okay? Don't say, you know, you're a distraction. I, I just walk with the Lord. No. Th- these are not bad things. Okay? Spend some time with your wife. Spend some time with your kids. I know you got, you know, after being gone a week, and I'm sure there's, there's things to catch up with. But let me just say this, that oftentimes after retreat, Satan knows that we've had a great time. He knows that you've made decisions from this retreat. He's seen you walking with God this weekend. He saw that prayer walk you took up in the mountains. He, he heard what you and God talked about. And Satan's not happy. So just be aware that as we make these decisions, and we decide, you know what, I'm going to live my life with purpose. He will do something this week to try to get you distracted and go back in whatever decisions you made and he's going to try everything in his power so you don't live with purpose. Because Satan is scared. Satan is scared that there could be a room full of men that go back with a renewed vision to all live with purpose. Don't be surprised when Satan tries to distract. As ministers of the gospel, as servants, we've been created, called, and gifted to be ministers. You know, my prayer for us is through this time, this weekend, that we'll make a decision to really live with purpose. And it can't just be a one-time decision. It's going to be a decision you've got to keep going back to. Amen. You know, we've got, uh, we've got two, you know, what, eight months left of 2013. And imagine if we all live with purpose and spread that to our families and the rest of the ministries. What could God do this year and the years beyond? In a few minutes... We're going to be taking the communion. And this is a time of decision. Gio mentioned this morning as he came up, you know, this is decision day. And it's a decision for us to say, what is the decision I'm going to make from this weekend to take back with me and to live out with purpose in my life? 1 Corinthians 11.28 says, A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. What we're going to do next is we're going to take about five minutes to just take time to go out, to walk and pray, and really make some decisions. And I want to encourage you to just make one decision in your life from this weekend. We've talked about a lot of things. We've talked about walking with God. We've talked about really being transformed in character. We've talked uh, this morning about really living a life of impact. But to make one decision and really commit it to the Lord and say, I'm coming back off this mountain committed to living with purpose. And this is a decision, God, I put before you. So this time we're going to go ahead. We're going to disperse from here. Take about five minutes. 
and, and walk and, and pray and put this decision before the Lord that you've made. And we're going to come back in here, and then we're going to have a prayer and take the communion, and then we'll continue with the rest of our service. So let's go ahead and be dismissed at this time.